0: Okay, this sermon is a repeat of um, what was preached on Sunday the 19th of October 2008, um, but was uh, lost due to a technical difficulty, so I'm preaching it in the loft. Um, So if no one laughs at the jokes, you know, it's not because they're not good jokes, it's because there's no one here listening. So, um, okay, here we go then. This uh, series we're looking at, um, this is, uh, we call it Destroying Unbelief and Receiving Faith. And um, this is uh, number two. In the series. When Jesus was on earth there were only two things that took him by surprise. Um, The first of those things was when he found faith in places that he wasn't expecting it, particularly the faith of a Roman centurion and the faith of a Syrophoenician woman. Both times we're told that Jesus marvelled when he saw their faith and um, commended them for it. The other time he marvelled or was surprised was when he encountered unbelief. And uh, we're told that when Jesus was in his hometown of Nazareth, he could do no mighty work there um, because of the unbelief of the people. There was no expectation um, among the people of Nazareth for the breakout of God's kingdom activity in the here and now. Um, I guess there may well have been a sense of... um, Belief, a sense of yes, you know, we believe in the Lord. We're we're God's people. We're the people of Israel, etc. But there was no real faith for um, God to work, for God to act in the here and now. There was no confidence in that sense. And um, massive verse um, in my own life, personally, and, and I just I just think a huge one. Hebrews 10:36 says, "Do not throw away your confidence, for it has a great reward." And there was just this. There was no sense. Jesus encountered in Nazareth, no sense of confidence in who he was and in um, what he'd come to do. Um, Bottom line is, is Jesus is big on faith. And in certain churches, certain scenes, the whole faith thing has been warped, has been twisted at times, and um, has, has become an unhelpful thing. And for many people coming out of that setting the kind of setting where um faith is the only thing that's ever spoken about and um any difficulty in life is, is supposedly due to a lack of faith um and even teaching on such things like for example what job went through was due to his lack of faith when uh, the bible is clear that um god charges job's friends with sin but doesn't charge job with it so it's just error but there has been a um, in certain scenes such an emphasis on faith um, that it can become very much an environment of guilt um, if you don't get healed because of your lack of faith etc etc um, And but what can happen is we can throw the baby out with the bathwater. we can say well, we don't want to go like that we don't want to go down that road so let's not go down that whole faith road but listen if you're not a faith church you're not a church because the Bible says that believers are we're children of Abraham I mean our very name is that we're believers we're those who are of faith and so just because you know there's been a counterfeit uh, or a uh, kind of a caricature of faith around we don't throw out the authentic we don't go quiet on the authentic one of the things that marks true faith is that it focuses not necessarily on faith but it focuses on jesus um if you look at hebrews um, Hebrews chapter 11 the famous chapter on faith to kind of kind of um, climaxes in this beginning of chapter 12 fix your eyes on jesus the author and perfecter of faith true faith focuses on jesus and um, true discipleship is about abiding in his word in what he has said um, romans 10 says that faith comes by hearing, and here the word of christ this faith thing is a massive deal in fact jesus when he um, spoke on the parable of the persistent widow uh, encouraging his disciples to pray and not give up he concluded by saying this when the son of man comes will he find faith on earth uh, Jesus when he comes he's going to be looking for faith he's going to be looking for robust confidence in his people he's going to be looking for um, single minded conviction in his people that's what he's going to be looking for because um, there's no doubt that faith uh, attains things and obtains things um, that cannot be obtained in any other way so what would Jesus find at Revelation Church? If the Son of Man was to come to Revelation Church, what would he find? Would he find faith? Would he find expectation? Would he find confidence or would he find much more sense of doubts, double-mindedness, wavering, cynicism, unbelief? We need to ask that question um, soberly. We need to be able to face that question. And it's so important that we get this and that we're able to walk the tightrope as a church between tenderness, grace, meekness, But coupled with robust and militant faith, coupled with um, praying that is militant, praying that won't let go, praying that knows it's praying in the will of God and so will not take no for an answer. So really the essence of this series is that we're looking at 15 symptoms of unbelief that can be found in the story of the uh, 12 spies which I'll recap on in a minute. And we're really looking to ask ourselves, are any of those symptoms in us individually or corporately? And we want us a bit of a seek and a destroy mission, so to get rid of those things and then clear the ground in order that we might build well, building a good foundation so we can build strong, so we can build straight. Now just to say, this whole thing of coming into a place of faith is not a psychological state that you work yourself up into. It's simply letting your whole outlook, attitude, perspective, way of thinking be shaped by God's word. Okay, so let's look at the story again. You find the story Numbers chapter thirteen and chapter fourteen. And really, what's happened is is that God, through Moses, has led His people out of Egypt in a remarkable, miraculous way through judgments and plagues and the final climax of the Red Sea being opened miraculously and the people walking through the sea, and then the Egyptians following and being swallowed up. And um, they come into the wilderness. Which really should just be a six-week journey to the promised land. It's not an easy journey; it's arduous in many ways. But God provides miraculously on numbers of occasions. And then they get, I guess, within spitting distance of the promised land. And so Moses says, "Right, I want you to, each tribe to choose a leader, to choose a, a man that can go together with the other leader of the other tribes, so or twelve men to go and check out the land for forty days, spy it out. You're not to come back and give opinion of, as to whether or not." It can be done, but we do want you to come back and just tell us what it's like, what are the people like, what the cities like, just give us an assessment so we know what we're up against, we know what we're facing, and so that we are being wise, um, and uh, as we go forward in faith, we're we're calculating what we're up against first, that's a wise thing to do. So they go out and um, they spy out this land, um, undercover for 40 days, and then come back and bring a report. but what we find is, is that actually throughout those 40 days, at some point, for 10 of those spies out of the 12, it's um, fear and unbelief has really got under their skin, and their whole vision and their whole horizon has been taken up with the challenge, and taken up with what can't be done, taken up with the size of the people who live in the land and the size of their cities, and they come back and their spirit is completely overwhelmed by what they've seen, whereas the other two spies, Joshua and Caleb, come back still overwhelmed with God and still um, impressed and in awe of the Lord and what he's promised and so really we're following the story of um, when the guys come back, actually I I will read, I'll read from um, Numbers 13 verse 25. At the end of forty days they returned from spying out the land and they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land and they told him, We came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong and the cities are fortified and very large and besides we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites and the Arrites dwell in the hill country, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let's go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land they spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it were of great height. And then we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim, and we sing to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we sing to them. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we died in the land of Egypt, or would that we died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, Let's choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before, before all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, The land which we passed through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they bread for us, their protections removed from them. The Lord is with us, do not fear them. Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones, but the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. So last week we looked at symptom number one, which was unbelief says we can't, and assumes inferiority. Faith says we can and assumes superiority. Not superiority in a carnal, kind of fleshy, proud sense, but superiority in the sense of if we are following the Lord and the Lord is with us, then anything that comes against us, if we're genuinely following the Lord, anything that comes against us is um, to be overcome because the Lord is superior to all things. So that was last week. Symptom number two, we're going to just focus on the zoning on now. Unbelief emphasizes the difficulties the problems and the impossibilities you can see that in chapter 13 you see verse 27 they told him we came to the land to which you sent us it flows with milk and honey and this is its fruit however that's the key word however the people who dwell in the land are strong and the cities are fortified and very large so by the sentence construction here you can see that they're more impressed with the difficulties. Here's what I mean. If, I offered, if you offered me an apple and I said to you, uh, I ate the apple and then I said to you, uh, the apple looked nice, however, it tasted bitter. What am I emphasizing there? I'm emphasizing the bitterness because of where it comes in the sentence. It comes after the however. If I said the apple tasted bitter, however, it looks good. I'm emphasizing how it looked. Just by switching the sentence round. So the sentence of construction here shows us that the ten spies, although they acknowledge that the land does flow with milk and honey and it's got this lovely fruit, they're emphasizing the people who dwell in the land are strong, the cities are fortified and very large, the descendants of Anak are there. Faith recognizes the difficulty, but doesn't emphasize it or doesn't stay there. We're told of Abraham after the Lord's um, Promised him a child when he was very old, and his he was beyond, um, you know, his, and his his wife was beyond. There's a couple that were beyond childbearing years. But not only that, when she was um, the normal age for bearing children, she had been barren and unable to conceive. We're told that Abraham, he we're told that he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, and then he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. So he considered it. He looked. He is like you can imagine him. If they are mirrors in those, they standing in front of it, thinking, "How on earth?" You know, considering that word there means to observe fully. He observed it fully. But then we're told, "But he didn't um, waver in unbelief concerning the promise, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God." You see, so he he, he considered it. This is a situation. The cities are fortified and large. However, God has said it's a completely flipped around way of looking at it. So faith isn't a leap in the dark. It's not bury head in the sand. It's not pretend there's no difficulties. It's not, you're not allowed to say if things aren't going well. No, no, no. Faith considers things in a real way, but then goes on to overcome. Because faith focuses on the possibilities in God. You see, Jesus knew what awaited him. Jesus prophesied a number of times that he would be handed over to the leaders, that he would be... Um, treated badly and would be charged falsely and would be killed and would rise again on the third day, numbers of times through the Gospels you see him predict it, he says this is what's going to happen so he wasn't unreal, he didn't pretend, he didn't oh, don't talk about that, you know let's, let's not. Let's, let's keep it positive, no that wasn't Jesus's approach but it didn't fill his vision we're told what filled his vision for the joy set before him He endured the cross. Despising its shame. See? For the joy set before him. So he knew it was going to be tough. He knew it was going to be (coughs) terribly tough. But he moved on from there to understand what it would achieve. And what God was going to accomplish through it. He's our model, isn't he? He's our model. It's like with this second service, the evening service. We're going to be starting on the 1st of February, 2009. It's a huge Step of faith for us. In many ways, it seems <clears throat> crazy on a number of levels, really. But and so we're not just saying, yeah, well, you know, of course there'll be no difficulties, there'll be no challenges, there'll be loads of challenges. There's challenges in terms of people resources. There's challenges in terms of financial resources. There's challenges in terms of energy resources. They are real challenges that we got to face. Absolutely. So we look at them and we 're sober and we pray to them, and we consider how best we can work this thing around, so we do all of that. But then we say, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we're well able to overcome it. We don't stay there. We don't just get we don't get bogged down in it. We say actually yeah, here, but we do feel God has spoken. We feel there's an open door that we want to walk through now, we don't want to miss the moment. We feel there's a moment in God here for us to walk through as a people and to press into more fruit and to press into greater gospel impact in this area. So we're doing it we're looking at the situation with all these difficulties but we're saying yeah but hold on there are swathes of people that we know and that we don't know who will never make it here at 10 30 on a sunday morning because they normally get in to bed at around about six o'clock sunday morning after a night out saturday so we're going to do something at a different time to reach those you see so we're, we're saying so we're going to go for this so unbelief fo- unbelief focuses on the impossibilities faith is sober considers the challenges but moves on to focus on what can be done in God. Symptom number three. Unbelief turns good things into bad things. Numbers 13 verse 32. They say the land through which we've gone to spy out is a land that devours its inhabitants. I mean, this is the promised land, for goodness sake. This is the land of promise. This is the land flowing with milk and honey. This is, this is God's inheritance for his people. You know, moaning and grumbling and whinging marked the Israelites because generally the thing that marked the Israelites was unbelief. They couldn't see a way through the difficulties. Why? Because at their heart, at their deepest point, they'd lost sight of God. And whenever you lose sight of God, whenever you lose sight of the glory of the Lord, whenever you become more impressed with what's going on around you than you are with Him... Things that are good, or may be challenging, but good become things that are bad. Unbelief hates challenges. Unbelief doesn't like challenges, because unbelief can't see a way through. For those in unbelief, it's just, it's another, it speaks of failure, challenges. They speak of, we can't do this, it's going to overwhelm us. It speaks of everything negative. Faith relishes the opportunities that challenges afford. You see, challenges afford particular opportunities. They afford opportunities for victory, for breakout, for overcoming. And faith relishes those because faith believes that's where God's taken us. You see, the Israelites turned this adventure in the wilderness into a misery. It was supposed to be a six-week miracle tour. It turned into a 40-year slog. Thousands of them were killed. Some by the sword. Some by plague. Just judgment. Left, right and centre. Some the ground opened up and swallowed them. A whole generation. This whole generation. Because of this situation here were disinherited. Why? Because they avoided what God was promising them. They avoided what God was taking them into. The milk and the honey were overshadowed by the giant's and the walls and end up saying we'd rather return to slavery you know many Christians I've spoken to tell me how hard Camden is how hard how very dark you know I'm not sure I believe it I'm not sure I believe it I think there's challenges everywhere I think everywhere there's resistance to the gospel whether it's blatant or whether it's subtle and respectable, but whatever it is, I think there's resistance in people's hearts because people are people, people are sinners. Jesus Christ shed his blood to purchase people from all nations. I don't think you can say with certain places, they're just a bit, I don't know, you know, think twice before you go there. Why? Why think twice before you go there? Jesus said, Go and make disciples of all nations, go into all the earth, I'll be with you till the end of the age. That's what Jesus has said. And you know what? Even if Camden is darker, even if it is somewhere where you know I don't know Satan's Satan's throne is you know in Revelation Jesus refers to a particular location where Satan has his throne. Let's say even that that were the case for Camden, the Bible says this: Where sin abounds, grace abounds more. Where darkness abounds, the light shines brighter. This isn't being unreal. This isn't being idealistic. But it's saying look. God's called us here. And he's not called us here to just sit up on the corner and be another little group of happy people that no one notices. He's called us here to bring the gospel right into the heart of situations and lives. And if we're in faith, we will see the good in the midst of the challenges. We'll see it. We'll be able to walk around and not be overwhelmed by the darkness, not be overwhelmed by the sin, see it, accept it, acknowledge it, but see the promised land in it all. Listen to the other two spies. Fourteen verse seven: the land which we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. Now, whether it's easy or not, because some might say, "Yeah, but it's not going to be easy." Listen, that's beside the point. Whether it's easy or not is completely secondary. We didn't come here because it's going to be easy. That's that. It's not even. It's not even in, in. It's not in my thinking. It's not even in the equation. It's irrelevant. It's absolutely irrelevant. The issue is we're here to enforce the victory of Christ over the powers of darkness. We're here to see the release of captives from the power of sin. We're here to see unbelief banished, to see healing, deliverance and salvation break out, to see lives transformed, to co labor with Jesus as he builds his church and to influence the culture around us, engaging with it, shining our light, rubbing in the salt, rising to the challenge. We're here to believe God. You might think, well, why doesn't why doesn't God make it easy for us? The reason why the Lord isn't fussed about making it easy for us is because he wants to teach us to overcome. That's on his heart, Revelation 3 21. Jesus says, The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. You see, it's God's plan that we Overcome. God brings difficulties and challenges our way because he wants to teach us to overcome. Not to overwhelm us, not to beat us, not to destroy us, but because he wants to teach us how to overcome. That's his plan for us. He wants to make us overcome us so we can rule the nations with him into eternity. That's God's plan. I mean, look at Jesus in the desert. Look at Jesus' resolution. It wasn't easy. He'd been fasting for 40 days and the, the tempter comes and brings these temptations, these things were very real. Prove who you are. Won't take much, just one bow down to me. I'll give you the nations of the world. You can bypass the cross. So many little or big temptations, but just on a plate for him. There it wasn't easy for Jesus. But look at his resolve, look at his devotion. See, why did he do that? Why, how could he, how could he stick at it like that? He knew why he'd come, he'd come. He mustn't bypass the cross. He came to die, he came to die for the sins of the world, he came to die as a guilt offering for the sins of the world to satisfy the wrath of the Father so that you and me who have sinned and who are sinners by nature could find as we hide in Jesus forgiveness reconciliation with God and we can find the joy of being born again this is the wonder of Jesus Christ symptom number four unbelief is paranoid and makes assumptions based on this look at this this is crazy numbers 13 verse 33 and we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers and so we seem to them this is crazy these ten spies were saying that these these other guys they, they thought we were like grasshoppers too they thought we were tiny too these were undercover spies they had no idea of knowing what these other people thought of them they had no idea these people hadn't seen them they were they were spies they were they weren't they weren't confronting these people. They were just skirmishing around, watching, looking, observing. How do they know that they seemed like grasshoppers to the to the um, inhabitants of the land? It's total paranoia. In the, bi- in, the, sorry, not in the Bible, in the dictionary, paranoia is defined as obsessive anxiety and unreasonable suspicion. That's what paranoia is. If you're under. Obsessive, obsessive anxiety or unreasonable suspicion now a precursor to paranoia is self-absorption being absorbed in yourself that'll get, that, that is a wonderful way to enter into paranoia the ten were so aware of themselves Joshua and Caleb the two spies were oblivious they never referred to themselves once a self-conscious saint has lost sight of God unbelief and pride are close friends look at david dancing as he brings the ark of the covenant into jerusalem totally lost in praise to the lord his wife despising his lack of dignity how can he dance and jump around like that he's supposed to be the king where's his self-respect look at moses falling down on his face praying when people oppose him argue against him looking for an argument back looking for looking for some argument to come back Moses just falls on his face just seeks the Lord, just wants to know the, the glory of God just totally unselfconscious look at Jesus dying naked humiliated you think no surely this should never happen how could he have gone through with this he's he's he, yeah he's, he wasn't thinking about himself mocked and ridiculed just as father forgive them they don't know what they're doing just this selflessness What? just caught up with God caught up with God you mustn't caught self-consciousness you mustn't entertain or give room to self-consciousness you mustn't do that everyone isn't watching you okay if you're one of those saints you can't dance for fear of what everyone will think they're not looking at you they're not looking at you. I'm worshiping. I'm focusing on Jesus. Oh, I can't lift my hands up in the air. So and so might laugh. Stop being so proud. What makes you think they're looking at you? And even if they do laugh, so what? Who are you here for? What are you here for? Unbelief springboards off of paranoia into crazy assumptions. You know, we 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 know through what happens later on that the inhabitants of the land. Actually, their hearts, we're told, were melting for fear. Because they'd heard about these Israelites. And really they knew of them as those people who have this God who, he opens up seas. <laughs> he opens up seas so they can walk through and then close his seas to swallow their enemies. This God they've got, he's just acts and fights on their behalf. He's awesome. And they're coming our way. They were, their hearts were melting for fear. This is a crazy assumption it's a crazy assumption for these Israelites to assume that these inhabitants of the land were looking down on them laughing scorning them that wasn't happening at all you've got to watch that, that thing that doesn't get into your mind you start saying things like oh I can't invite so and so to Alpha they already hate me or they already think I'm like this or like that are you sure? how do you know? Well, ask me to know about Jesus you know, they, they, they think I'm silly they think I'm silly as it is watch that watch that Don't let that in. Don't give that any room. Don't assume people look down on you or hate you. That's just a crazy way of thinking. You know, faith is focused on the Lord. Faith is focused on the Lord's assessment of a situation and the Lord's ability. Listen to um, Joshua and Caleb, 14 verse 8. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us. A land that flows with milk and honey. God will do it. See, faith is confident. Faith moves forward. Faith isn't. If you're in faith, you're not paralysed by your own inadequacy. You're aware of your own inadequacy, of course. Absolutely. You're totally aware that in and of yourselves you're completely inadequate. But actually, actually you're more caught up with and you're then galvanised by his adequacy. That God can and God will do it. So unbelief fosters paranoia and makes assumptions based on it final symptom for today unbelief is instantly contagious this is terrifying (laughs) this is absolutely terrifying as we read chapter 14 of numbers the first four verses then all the congregation raised a loud cry and the people wept that night and all the people of israel grumbled against moses and aaron The whole congregation said to them, would that we died in the land of Egypt or would that we died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let's choose a leader and go back to Egypt. I tell you the contagious quality of diseases like AIDS or the bubonic plague or leprosy have got nothing on the contagion Is unbelief. Whole cultures and whole nations and whole generations have been wiped out forever by it. It doesn't take much unbelief to spread to a whole family to a whole church to a whole society to a whole culture. In a moment ten men disinherited three million. Hell is populated by unbelief unbelief has done more to populate hell than anything else run a mile from it avoid in quote Christian unbelievers you know the people I'm talking about call themselves Christians but spend more time saying what God's not going to do and just you know I don't know how bad everything is and how bad everything's going to be cynical about what God's going to do avoid those people avoid those people like the plague Avoid unbelief theology. Some scholars create whole theologies based on unbelief, based on what God no longer does do, etc, etc. Now, I'm not saying you just swallow every story that comes and you believe everything without discernment in one sense. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that it's not clever. It's not clever to be in unbelief. And you will affect everyone around you if you are. So watch it. The Bible says we are to build one another up in our most holy faith. Build one another up. You see, faith is built into a community over time. Over time, faith gets built in. I guess this is a question I want to ask. Why is it that unbelief spreads so fast and yet faith seems to take a lot longer to build? I think two reasons. Number one, it's always easier to destroy than it is to build, isn't it? See, unbelief is really about destroying confidence in God. That's really what it's about. Re- removing that um, supernatural conviction and confidence in the ability, the faithfulness of the Lord to do what He said He's going to do. It's a bit like sandcastles, you know? I mean, it takes longer to build a decent sandcastle than it does to just knock them down. And you have to teach your kids this. You know, sometimes your kids get frustrated trying to build sandcastles on the beach. What they'd rather do is find someone else who's already built sandcastle and kick it down. That's what they'd much rather do. Um, And you've got to teach them, no, 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 I know it's easier, but it's better to build. It's much better to build. We're here to build a community that is based on faith, robust trust in Jesus Christ. We're here to plant churches, we're here to serve the poor, to love the lost, um, to redeem culture. We're building something. It takes time. It takes effort. It takes commitment. It will take blood, sweat and tears at certain times. It's not jolly. It's not a game. It's not a a hobby. We're co-labouring with Christ here. This is what we're here to build don't expect the thing to be erected overnight no we're here we're digging holes we're filling we're getting get the foundations right so we can build straight and so we can build strong if you're simply looking for a church to attend if you're a believer and you're simply looking for somewhere that you can attend on a sunday i would say with all grace please don't come here if you're not sure if you're Christian or not, you're just looking into this Jesus stuff and figuring it out, you're very, very welcome to come and attend as much as you like. If you've had ba- if you're a believer and you've had bad church experience, you've been a spiritual abuse or you've been just beaten up by stuff that's gone on, you just need someone where you can just come and attend for a while, of course you're welcome. But if you're a healthy believer, you know, and you, you but you're just, you're, you're lazy and you don't really want to... Put your shoulder behind the wheel and push. You don't really want to get in and get involved and serve. Look, I just want to be honest with you. Just find another church where you can attend. That's going to probably work better. If you're looking for a community to build with, please come here. We can use all the help we can get. The second reason why unbelief spreads so fast and faith takes longer to build is that unbelief relies solely on natural senses. It, it, it's it's it, whereas faith, is, it's a God given spiritual faculty, you see. So, unbelief's easier in that sense. With faith, you have to fight to hold on to the ground that you've gained in faith and keep pushing forward to break new ground. Um, but you see, unbelief, you just look at what's around you and make your assessments on that, and that's the end of it. Oh, God's not going to move because God isn't moving, you know. Or people aren't going to get saved because people aren't getting saved. And it's just, it's easy. And so unbelief spreads because it's the easy option and most people are lazy. Faith takes time. Faith takes guts. Faith takes meditating on scripture. Immersing yourself in the truth that God represents. Faith takes taking risks. Facing uncertainty with boldness and with courage. If you can't handle that, then go for an easy, leisurely, boring life that dishonours the one who gave his all for you. i just conclude by saying this in the book of James we're told that we all stumble in many ways I'm not preaching perfectionism today I'm not saying oh you know none of us can ever make mistakes or get it wrong we all stumble in many ways let's just say that up front we have to be a community of grace a community where we're constantly living a lifestyle of repentance where we're encouraging and challenging one another and helping one another to grow so I'm not preaching perfectionism but I am saying let's press on I'm saying if need be, let's go out in a blaze of glory. Let's embrace embrace the mission fully. Let's love God and love one another on the way. And let's build together as friends, not just as people that are on task together, but as friends. Let's rejoice in God. Let's keep praying. Let's keep believing. And let's inherit the promises that God has pledged for us. Amen.